I'd like to re-announce that our next class begins next Sunday at 8.30 a.m. That class is called Grounded in the Gospel. We will be learning and memorizing together a catechism, specifically the New City Catechism, which is a more recent catechism based on the Geneva, Westminster, and Heidelberg catechisms. It's 52 short questions and answers. And through those 52 short questions and answers, the foundations of the gospel are taught. In fact, the foundations of Christianity are taught. So I'd encourage you to be a part of that class. You can sign up online at our, our website, veritasroseville.com. In preparation, you can also purchase that catechism online against New City Catechism, or you can download a free app. You can also get an app free and download it. In 1851, Pastor J.C. Ryle, he wrote this, All God's children have faith. Not all have assurance. I do not shrink from saying that by grace, a man may have sufficient faith to flee to Christ, sufficient faith really to lay hold on him, really to trust in him, really to be a child of God, really to be saved. And yet to his last day, be never free from much anxiety and doubt and fear. Some of you, maybe many of you, struggle with Christian assurance. In your life, you have little to no assurance. You have no confidence on a regular basis that you really belong to Christ. You're sure one day and you're unsure the next day. And it leads to anxiety. It leads to questions. It leads to doubt. It leads to fear. You are not assured in your salvation. And so you lack comfort and you lack contentment and you lack holiness and maybe you lack boldness. Of course, some of you have great assurance and you're not Christians. That is another problem, one that we're not addressing today. But in our text today, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I think is very helpful for Christian assurance. And so it's my prayer for those of you who are Christians that you would gain confidence in Christ today. Now, before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, we need help understanding your word today. Not only do we need help understanding your word, we need help applying your word. We know that our minds will be dark without you, so we ask for light. And we know that our hearts will even be cold without you, and so we ask for heat from your Holy Spirit to fill our minds and enliven our hearts 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, which if you're using one of our church Bibles, you will find on page 634. Let me read the text in its entirety one more time before we begin. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This is the word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. What a prayer. I, I hope people pray for me like that. I hope people pray for me like that. In this prayer, there is thanksgiving and there is petition. There are things Paul is thanking God for and there are things that Paul is asking God for. Probably not unlike many of your prayers. Listen again. Verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So there is thanksgiving. He's thankful for the Ephesians faith and love. Remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that and now here is Paul's petition. Here is what he is asking God to do that. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. So what is Paul's petition? He wants the Ephesians to know something. It's what all those words were saying. He wants the Ephesians to know something. What is Paul asking God to do? Paul is asking God to reveal himself to the Ephesians. Paul is asking that God would give them knowledge, that he would give them revelation. He is asking God to open the eyes of their heart, to give them the Holy Spirit, to understand Verse 18, that you may know three things. There are three things Paul wanted the Ephesians to know deeply. These are three things that I want to know deeply. These are three things that I want all of you to know deeply. 
Three things that Paul prays for. Three things he wants the Ephesians to know. Here they are. Listen for them. That you may know what is the hope. That's the first thing. To which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the second thing. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? That's the third thing toward us who believe. Did you hear all three? Number one, the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And number three, the immeasurable greatness of his power. Let's run quickly through one and two and then slow down for number three. We'll slow down for number three because Paul slows down for number three. He gives five verses to it. What is the first thing Paul prays we know? Verse 18a, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he Who's the he? Look back at verse 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ or the father of glory. Paul wants them. Paul wants us. I want us to know the hope to which God, the father of glory, Christians, has called us. So do you know this hope that Paul speaks of? Paul uses this word hope a couple other times in the letter. Actually, most of the New Testament writers use this word hope, but they mean something very different than what we usually mean when we use the word hope today. Let me explain. In the West today, hope refers to a desire in our hearts regarding an uncertain future. Let me say that again. For us, typically, the word hope refers to a desire in our hearts regarding an uncertain future. It's about what we would like to have happen in the future, but are not sure will come to pass. It is a wish. I hope it doesn't rain this week. I hope the Giants can pitch this season. I hope I get an iPod for my birthday. Whatever it is. These are things about the future that are uncertain, but there's a desire in our heart. Now, hope in the Bible is totally different. In the Bible, whenever you see the word hope, it refers to a desire in our hearts regarding a certain future. It's the opposite. Not an uncertain future, but a certain future. Hope refers to what we could call Christian certainties. And there are many Christian certainties. Tons of Christian certainties. So let's look at a cross-reference. A cross-reference is a passage in your Bible that has the same theme. 
to whatever verse that you might be reading. So let's look at a cross-reference. This one is in 1 Peter chapter 1. Maybe turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Maybe turn there and keep your hand there when we come back to Ephesians because we're going to come back to this passage three times. Because Peter uses the exact same three words as Paul. Hope, inheritance, and power. So let's start because we're looking at hope. Listen here for the hope in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what is Peter telling us about hope here? He's saying, Christian, God has what? God has caused you to be born again. God has caused you to have new life. And part of that new life of a Christian is what Peter calls a living hope. Which is the opposite of a a dying or dead hope. We don't have a dying hope. We don't have a dead hope. We have a living hope. And I think Peter has something very specific in mind. I think it's the same thing that Paul has in mind. It is the bedrock of all Christian certainty. Our living hope. Our living hope is that we will triumph over death because and just as Jesus triumphed over death. That right there is the bedrock of all Christian hope. There's a lot of Christian hope. There are many Christian certainties. Foundationally, the bedrock, you dig down and get underneath all those hopes. Our living hope, Christian, is that we will triumph over death because and just as Jesus triumphed over death. That's what Peter means when he says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christian, you will triumph over death. Paul wants you to know that hope to which God has called you. What is the second thing Paul prays we know? Look at the second half of verse 18. That you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Number two is the riches of. Of his glorious inheritance. So this means that Christian. After you triumph over death. You will receive an inheritance. Do you know that? A real inheritance. 
This isn't just metaphorical talk. You actually will triumph over death. And after death, you actually will receive an inheritance. Do you know that you will receive an inheritance? Do you know what the inheritance is? Well, for God's people in the Old Testament, the inheritance primarily referred to the material promised land. For us now, our inheritance basically refers to God and the material new heavens and new earth. So what is your inheritance? Your inheritance is God. God is your inheritance. So when I die and when I defeat death, I hear I get an inheritance. That sounds good. We like an inheritance. What do I get? You get God. That's the great inheritance. You get God. That's what your inheritance is referring to. And where do you get God? You get God in. This is, this is all real stuff here. In a real place. In this place, earth, completely made new. The Bible refers to it as the new heavens and the new earth. We're not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps, chubby little babies in diapers with wings. That's what I pictured when I was a kid. And I did not want to go to heaven. Heaven sounded awful. I don't want to just, am I just floating around on a cloud, playing harps and singing songs, and it's just sort of this ethereal existence? That doesn't sound good to any child. That's, that's not it. The new heavens and the new earth. Real. Real place. Real pleasures. No sin. No sadness. No tears. And God. In your presence. All the time. That's our inheritance. It's waiting for us. And Paul does not just want us to know that it exists. What does he say? He doesn't just want you to know that there's an inheritance. He wants you to know the riches of it. He wants you to know the glorious inheritance. The extent of it. The the grandeur of it. So let's go to Peter again. Go back to Peter. I'll read verse 3 and then verse 4 now of 1 Peter 1. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, and listen to the adjectives, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the inheritance is imperishable. It's incorruptible, immortal. It's not breaking down. The inheritance is undefiled. So it's pure, perfect, without any blemish or stain. The inheritance is unfading. This inheritance never loses any quality or any beauty. It stays bright. And the inheritance is being kept 
in heaven for you. It is reserved, guarded, and guaranteed. Okay. There are the first two things. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know. First two things Paul wants us to know. Our hope and our inheritance. And now there's one more. And I think if we don't know this one, if we don't know number three, we will struggle to know one and two. Which is probably why Paul gives the most words to number three here. Many Christians struggle to know one and two. Many Christians struggle with assurance. Am I going to make it? Am I going to stay faithful? Am I going to stay Strong. Does this hope apply to me? Sounds great. Does it apply to me? Is this inheritance? Sounds amazing. Is it for me? Is this sickness or circumstance or suffering or temptation or persecution going to get the best of me? We'll come back to those common questions and doubts. What is the third thing Paul prays we know? Look at verse 19. That you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Number three, the immeasurable greatness of his power. Do you know this power that Paul speaks of? Do we understand what this power is? Some of you grew up as Christians. You grew up hearing about the power of God and what it was and what it was for. And maybe there's even some misconceptions that you have. What is this power and why is it so important that we as Christians know? Paul prays, he's only praying for these three things. This is one of them. Why is it so important that we really know this power? So let's do this. Let's look at the essence of this power and let's look at the effect of this power. So what is the essence of it? What is the nature of it, and then what is the effect of it? What does it do? What is it for? First, the essence. Our text here in Ephesians today speaks to the essence of this power. In other words, what is the nature of this power? What is it like? Paul tells us in our text. What is this power like? Or how... This is what you want to know. How powerful is this power? Listen. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So it's great. That's the essence of it. it, is, it what does Paul say? It is immeasurably 
great. So how, how great? Immeasurably great. And now, Paul takes these next four verses to tell us what this power is like. So Paul, what kind of power are we talking about? According to, or in proportion to, here's what it's like, the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. And, there's a lot of ands. Get ready for a lot of ands here. He's going to build and build and build. So it's like the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That's Paul's answer to the question, what kind of power are we talking about here that is toward us who believe? That is what this immeasurable power is like. It is like verse 20. The great might, that's power, He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. In other words, the essence of the power toward us who believe is the power of the resurrection. So, let's pause this Easter Sunday. Consider for a few minutes resurrection. If that's what the power is like, the resurrection, let's think for a few minutes about what resurrection is. And what kind of power it would take to perform resurrection. So what is biblical resurrection? Here are a couple misconceptions. Here's what it is not. Resurrection is not reincarnation. Reincarnation is someone dying and being born again to live another life in another body as another human or animal or even thing, that is not a thing. There is no second chance. So reincarnation is not resurrection. Second thing resurrection is not, this is a very common misconception, resurrection is not revivication. Revivication is someone dying and being brought back to continue living this life. Revivication happens when someone dies and is raised back to life only to die again. So you have lots of examples of that in your Bible. But it's not resurrection. 
In 2 Kings, Elisha raised someone back to life. In Mark 5, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back to life. And in John 11, Jesus raised Lazarus back to life. In Acts 9, Peter raised Tabitha back to life. And in chapter 20, raised Eutychus back to life. But every single one of them died again. So that is not resurrection. So here's what the Bible teaches about resurrection. Each of us has a material body and an immaterial soul. You have a a body. You know this. You can see it. You can feel it. Every one of us has a material body. But that's not all that you are. You know this. You know that's not all that you are. You have a material body, but you also have an immaterial soul. When you die, here's what happens. They're separated. Your material body... And your immaterial soul are separated at death. Our bodies go in the ground or wherever you decide to go. Our souls either go to be with Jesus in paradise. Remember Luke chapter 23 and Jesus looked at the thief on the cross and said today he was about to die. His soul was going to be separated from his body. The thief's body was going to go into a tomb, but his soul, Jesus said, today you are going to be with me in paradise. Upon death, our souls either go to be with Jesus in paradise or Revelation 20, 13 and elsewhere. They go to suffering in Hades. And each of those places, paradise, what the Bible calls Hades, each of those places is a taste of what is to come. The pleasure that is to come or the suffering that is to come. Each of those places is a foretaste of that. But it is not, as your immaterial soul is there, that is not going to be your final destination. That is life after death. That's not resurrection. Resurrection is life after life after death. Life after life after death. Resurrection is the one day reuniting of your body and soul, Christian. To live with Jesus forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Resurrection is the reversal of death. Death, body and soul separated. Resurrection, soul and new imperishable perfect body reunited. Never to die again. Christians believe this is what happened to Jesus. It's what we pay special attention to on Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course. But we pay special attention, don't we, on this day to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that resurrection 
is exactly what happened to Jesus. Now, with that understanding of the resurrection, I want you to pause and consider how great is the power that is toward you and in you as a believer. That's the power, Paul says. It's unfathomable. We can't do that. We'll never be able to do that. We don't know how to do that. We don't even presume to think that we'll ever be able to reverse death. Of all the things that we as mankind In secular society, hope and think that we may be able to do someday. No one ever thinks that we'll be able to somehow reverse death. So think, okay, what kind of power does it take to do that? And it is that kind of power that is, Paul says, toward you as a Christian. That's the power. That's what it is like. That is the essence of. Of the power. And now second. What is the effect of that power? (laughs) Why does that kind of power need to be working toward me? Why does that kind of power need to be in me as a Christian? What is that power for? Now Ephesians. Just tells us right. The power is toward us. That's what Paul says. What do you want to know? Well, toward us, how? To do what? What is the effect of this power toward us in this life right now? So let's go back over to 1 Peter chapter 1. This time in verse 5. I'll read 3 and 4 again, and then verse 5, where we'll learn what the effect of this immeasurably great power, resurrection power is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the effect? What is this power for what is this power doing it is protecting us it is keeping us for God this effect of God's power in the Christian is neglected it's not thought about 
We typically focus on how God's power is in me to do great things. I could do this and I can do that and I can name this and I can claim that and I can perform miracles and I can heal or I can speak in tongues or I can have these amazing gifts. That is not the focus of God's power in you as a Christian. It is to assure you, Christian, it's to say, listen, if there isn't power in you, you're falling away. If this thing is up to you, you're falling away. If getting to the finish line is up to you, good luck. If persevering to the end and staying faithful is a matter of your works and your deeds and your mindset and your strength and your commitment, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get there. You don't just need power in you to get there. You need like resurrection quality power if you're not going to fall from grace. And what is Paul saying? He's, I am praying that you know, Christian, that that is exactly the kind of power that is in you, and that's exactly why it's there. So that you'll be assured. So that you won't forget. So that you'll have comfort. So that you'll have confidence. Remember our struggle? Am I going to make it? Yes. Am I going to finish strong? Yes. Is this sickness or circumstance or suffering? or temptation, or persecution going to get the best of me? No, it is not. No, it is not. Because great is the power at work within you. Here are three texts. And there's so many texts. But here's just three. John 10, 27 through 30, Jesus said, my sheep who are sheep, sheep are Christians, sheep are his children, sheep are believers. He's the good shepherd and we're his sheep. My sheep, what does he say about us? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The whole point of that passage is to make you feel safe, Christian. Jesus is saying, give me a break. I'm Jesus. God the Father and I are one. You are a gift to me. God the Father gave you to me. And you are in my hand. 
please, no one can snatch you out of God's hand. Not him, not her, not yourself, not Satan himself. No one can snatch you out of his. Why? Because great is the power toward us who believe. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You won't do it. He will do it. Surely. And Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you. Will bring it to completion. At the day of Jesus Christ. Christian. You will receive your inheritance. If. You persevere to the end. And Christian, you will persevere to the end. Because resurrection power will preserve you. In conclusion. Do you know the hope to which God has called you? Do you know the riches of your glorious inheritance? Do you know the greatness of his power at work within you? If you're here today and you are not a believer. You're not a Christian. Maybe you're not and you know you're not. Maybe you're not and you think you may be. But in reality, you're not. If you're here and you are not a believer, then at the end of the day, you have no hope. You have no hope this morning. There's no certain future. That is good. You have no inheritance waiting for you. And you have no protective power in your life. But there could be. If you would this day believe. If you would turn from sin and turn to Christ. If you would this day believe that Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose again in the place of sinners so that a sinner like you could be reconciled to God. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, you have hope. 
you have an inheritance waiting for you. And you have the power to get you there. Amen. Regarding communion, Veritas Church welcomes all Christians who are willing to forsake their sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and who are committed to this or another local church that proclaims the gospel to receive the Holy Communion with us today. You're invited. So we will have people in the front who will serve you. We ask that you would empty into the center aisle, come forward and take the emblems and then return to your seats from the outside and wait. Then we'll eat and drink together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning the same prayer that Paul prayed. We ask that you would enlighten us. We ask that you would open the eyes of our heart. We ask that you would reveal yourself. We ask that you would give us knowledge so that we would know our hope in you our inheritance from you and the certainty of your power, your protective, preserving power that is at work within us to bring to completion what you have started in us. For those here who do not believe, we ask that you would remove the blindfold so that they would see what the rest of us see in ourselves and more importantly in you. And that is that you are our Savior. And for those of us who do believe, we pray that this day and in the days to come, we would know your hope. We would know our inheritance and we would know this great power at work within us. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.